This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Stay out of the swamp unless you're looking to disappear forever. This is Darkness Prevails, the best place to share your scary true stories with the world, because this world is a strange one. Swamp Dweller would be proud. If you're not subscribed to that guy on YouTube, do it. He's got tons of creepy cryptid stories. You see, someone from the swamp like him would know. There are dangerous things in the swamp, things that you should forget about if you value your sleep. Enjoy these allegedly true scary stories from the swamp. If you enjoy what I do here, think about pledging nothing more than a dollar on my Patreon at patreon.com slash darkness prevails so that this channel won't disappear if YouTube goes under. Real quick, I'm going to read something special here because everyone who enjoys this channel needs to know what's going on here when I receive and read stories. If you want to skip ahead to the stories, you can go to four minutes and six seconds. I received the following comment and reply from someone who submitted a story from my last video. Leisha. They said, cool that my story got in but not cool with the artistic changes made to it. Now, most of the time I don't have to change the stories I read except for grammar, punctuation, etc. But some stories do require some heavy editing. Let me list some reason and examples of why this might happen and how it happens. One, YouTube doesn't let me monetize a video if it has certain words, so you can expect certain words and scenarios from stories to be thrown out if YouTube would consider them too unfriendly for the family. Basically, censorship. Two, some stories are good and I want to read them, but they might be too unbelievable. For example, I read a story recently about a Wendigo in a person's barn. It was a creepy and chilling story, until they got to the part where they were on horseback in the woods, confronting the Wendigo with a samurai sword. While I'm not saying it didn't happen, I left that part out because it didn't do the story justice. We're here for horror, and by leaving out that part of the story, it would remain scary and believable enough. And three, some other stories are also good, but don't deliver properly. Maybe they aren't scary enough. Maybe they don't provide something they promised. An example of that would be a recent story about someone getting stuck in a cave and thinking they were a goner. In that story, they hinted that they would describe the horror they felt in the moment, but they really didn't, leaving the story unfulfilled and unscary. So I added a paragraph or so describing what I thought anyone would feel, what someone might be thinking if they thought they were trapped in a cave. You know, thoughts of how it would end. Would you go from thirst or hunger? Or would you try to end it sooner if you knew you wouldn't be saved and you wanted to avoid going painfully? Recently, there have been quite a few complaints from people whose stories have been changed like the previous examples. I don't like doing this, believe me, but because I do not have solid evidence of these stories and because I never experienced them for myself, then I can only share your story with a massive audience in hopes that it would entertain and get people thinking. 
Creepy things do exist in our world, unexplainable things, I believe that 100%. That being said, this channel is entertainment mostly, even if I do believe quite a few of these stories. So, to everyone who feels wronged because their story didn't appear on this channel the same way they wrote it, I apologize. It is something that I have to do for the health and intrigue of the channel, as well as to keep fans like you happy. Just know that I will never change the core plot of a story, and I will always attempt to replace a story before making heavy changes. I love you all, and understand those who might want to unsubscribe. For those that don't, please enjoy these scary stories from the swamp. Number one, A Wild Ride, submitted by Sarah N. There are a lot of scary bridges in Maryland. I mean, you can actually pay someone 30 bucks to drive you across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge if you can't stomach the howling winds and the sharp turns on the western side. But hands down, the creepiest bridge is DeCourcy Bridge going over a small river that's part of the Greenbrier Swamp. Being the paranormal junkie that I am, I'd convinced a friend of mine, Jack, to finally take me to the Seven Gates of Hell. It was located on a barely there dirt road that would sometimes be flooded out by the tides. The gates are a part of a local legend. Now, I know a bunch of states have their own versions, but ours has a particular distinction. It's a favorite haunt of Big Liz, the ghost of a headless slave. And to even reach the gates, you have to travel a few miles along the road, haunted by ghost lights, Spooky, huh? Well, this summed up our itinerary for that particular summer night, but we had one issue. Neither of us had a car at the time, so we contacted a mutual friend named Mary and convinced her to take us to the gates. I was a little nervous about asking Mary to take us, as she'd always been sensitive to emotions and spirits in a way that made my own sensitivity pale in comparison but she and Jack said that she would be fine, so off we went into the night. As we neared the road leading towards the gates, Jack mentioned he wanted to try to summon Big Liz. To do so, we'd get onto the road, stop on the small bridge over the river of the swamp, honk our horn three times, flash our lights twice, and then shut off the car. We waited for nearly a half hour, but no Liz holding onto her head with glowing red eyes coming from the mist. Feeling a bit disappointed, we decided to press on. We looked to Mary to tell her to drive, and I'll never forget the look on her face. Mary was staring straight ahead with eyes that had rolled completely back into her head. Mary, I called out softly, as if a switch flipped her eyes snapped forward, and she started the vehicle, revving the engine as if it were a manual and not an automatic. I was surprised that her poor little Fiesta survived when she slammed on the gas and we took off. Jack and I yelled in horror as we looked down the stretch of road. I glanced at the rapidly climbing speedometer and then back to Mary. Her eyes stared into mine. They were glazed over as she smiled at me, not looking at the road at all. I swore that this was the end that night, when suddenly she slammed on her brakes. I felt whatever had possessed her leave through the windshield and continue down the road. 
Mary somehow kept control of her screeching, slightly fishtailing car, and we came to a stop in the middle of the swamp. With tears in her now normal looking eyes, she threw the car into reverse, pulled the fastest three-point turn I've ever seen, and sped back up the road. Suddenly, Jack cried out. I glanced in the rear view to see two pinpoints of light that hadn't been there before, and they were following us. Mary's tiny car sped along the road, with the ghostly car tailing us. Once we passed over the bridge, the lights faded away into nothingness, but Mary continued to speed away the way we had come. Jack, Mary, and I sat in silence all the way back to Cambridge, the nearest town. Only once we were back along familiar roads did Jack and I begin to ask Mary what had happened, but we were met with stony silence. I worriedly asked Jack about other spirits along the road. That's when he told me about the origins of the ghost lights. Apparently, a man had taken his car out to that road to practice racing. Unfortunately, he hit a wet patch of road near the bridge and hydroplaned off the asphalt, hitting a tree in the swamp. He passed away nearly instantly. I can't say for certain that the ghost driver possessed my friend, but I do know that I won't be taking Mary back there in no hurry. Number two, Swamp Zombie, submitted by Jessica B. I was staying at my uncle and step-aunt's house to babysit my six-year-old twin cousins. The house was right beside a swamp in Canberra. I was about 14 to 15 years old at the time. I had just put my cousins to bed when I heard a squelching noise in the swamp. I assumed it was a wild animal, a cow or sheep that had gotten lost. I ignored it, but the squelching continued for another 20 minutes before slowly stopping. After maybe half an hour, a low distant croaking began. Assuming it was swamp toads, I wasn't scared, but for fear of my cousins waking up, I shone a light out there. To my horror, there were no toads. I saw something else that night. It was a tall, yellowish-green humanoid figure. It was standing and trembling in the woods, facing away from me and staring into the swamp. I nearly screamed when I saw it, but managed to stifle it into a whimper. Its flesh looked decayed and rotted, as if years of gangrene had taken its toll on its skin. Unfortunately for me, the thing managed to hear my whimper. It clumsily turned around, piercing me with those black eyes that reflected from my torch beam. I threw back the curtains, hoping whatever it was hadn't seen me. The flashlight slipped from my hand and clattered to the floor, and then I heard a banging, not like someone breaking through the window, but like someone was knocking on our door. My cousins had gotten out of bed and had now run into the kitchen. They began screaming, probably more afraid than I was. I grabbed a knife from the kitchen drawer, grabbed the front doorknob, gathered my courage with a few deep breaths, and then threw it open. There was a massively loud shriek and footsteps going back into the woods, but other than that, they were gone, whatever they were. 
Needless to say, I didn't babysit over there ever again, and I've been very wary of any more swamps. Number three, The Shadow Man, submitted by Andrea. This happened almost 13 years ago now, when I was 11. As a child, I was delighted by the thought of ghosts and liked knowing that if a loved one passed, they could still be around me. And I've had countless encounters with what I believe was the supernatural. I believe I've seen my grandmother, grandfather, godfather, and my cousin who had taken his own life and other spirits who were once alive. However, me seeing these entities, it didn't all start until we moved into that house. These houses were built on land that was an ancient swamp where countless people's lives had been taken by accident or otherwise. So these swamps had a history. I know, right? Such a lovely place to build. Let's jump to a week after we were finally all moved in when I started to feel uncomfortable things about the house. For example, whenever I was left alone for more than a few minutes, I felt eyes on me like someone was always behind me breathing down my neck, but it was only when no one was around. My room was 10 times worse than any other room as well. I've never felt comfortable in there at any point in time unless someone was accompanying me. I always felt as if I was being watched by something I couldn't see, but I could always feel it around me. I would have horrible nightmares of being chased by something invisible, something that wanted to harm me. No matter where I went or where I'd hide, it would always find me. I would always wake up before he could do anything, right at the moment his hands were extended towards me, ready to grab me by the throat. After that, I started sleeping in bed with my mother, and the dreams did fade. I slept in her bed for two weeks, then one night she told me I had to sleep on my own again and that everything was going to be fine. I begged and pleaded for her not to make me go into my room, but she told me I was just being silly and that nothing was in there that could hurt me. She tucked me in, sat beside me and patted my back until I fell asleep. And that's when the dream started. I was running in the woods away from this shadow man. He wasn't invisible anymore like he used to be. He was five foot 11 with a medium build, wearing a long black trench coat, an all black Panama hat, and heavy boots. I couldn't see his face or anything other than his shadow. He was coming toward me, wanting to hurt me again. I tried to stop and hide, but he would appear right behind me or in front of me forcing me to change directions and keep running. Eventually, he led me to the edge of a cliff. When I got there, I woke up in a start, a cold sweat, my heart racing, and I needed to run out of the room. I quickly crawled in bed with my mother. Just when I thought everything was safe again, I saw him. I saw him in real life this time. He was walking down the hallway towards her room, then stopped in the doorway staring at me. Then he began to walk slowly but swiftly towards me. If that makes any sense, 
I just laid there frozen in fear as the shadow man was standing over me now. I shut my eyes waiting for something to happen. When I thought it was over, I opened my eyes to see him beside the bed, leaning over me with his hands out like he was going to strangle me. I couldn't scream, I couldn't even move, so I just laid there praying for my life and I watched as the shadow man vanished into thin air. I never saw him again after that night, but after my 22nd birthday in the corner of my room behind my bedroom door, I've been seeing a dark shadow standing there watching me as I drift off to sleep. I think he's back. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer, Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Number 4. The Figure. Submitted by Fiona. This is going to sound crazy. I'm 13 and this happened two years ago. It was the peak of the summer and my stepsister Abby and her best friend Amy were over. They were 13 or 14 at the time and I was 11. We were all hanging out at about 9.30 that night just being bored, so we then decided to take a walk. We grabbed a flashlight and our phones, then told our parents we were going for a nighttime adventure of some sort. I lived on about five acres of woods, 
and three of those acres were practically all swamp. Behind my house, which is downhill, and to the left is the road. To the right is more woods and neighbors. We walked behind the house for a ways, then decided to go out to the road, which, by the way, is a quiet, dirt road. Towards the end of the road, there's a dead end. Then there's a small trail leading through the wetlands, about a quarter of a mile out to a nearby river. We were almost to the end of the dead end when Abby started singing the national anthem. Being the annoying little sister I am, I kept singing random parts really loud, obnoxiously trying to mess her up and make her upset. Long story short, she started laughing at me and began to chase me. I ran and darted around a trash can, but as I did, I saw a tall figure with a white face standing only three feet away from the trail. I didn't think anything of it at the time. I just thought it was a glint from the flashlight or something. Amy looked over at us and harshly told us to be quiet. Abby and I gave her a confused look and asked why, and she said, Do you guys not see that? My heart sank when she pointed at the figure, a tall, white-faced figure just standing there, staring down at us. We walked about two feet closer to it, then Abby's phone started acting up and freezing. We were kind of freaked out at this point, but nothing that would cause us to turn and bolt home just yet. My house was about a third of a mile away from where we were, so if we did run, it would be a long shot. If we took the road, we'd have to run up a hill and go down my long driveway, then jump the fence surrounding the house, but we still wanted to see what this thing really was. After we took another step forward toward the figure, that was when the flashlight died. Abby, who was holding it, was trying to get it to work again, but nothing happened. At this point, we were done, so we turned and ran up the hill. We stopped at the beginning of my driveway, then turned to look back. Suddenly, the flashlight turned back on, and we turned to see nothing but Amy walking about 20 feet down the hill. Then, she stopped dead in her tracks. She turned again and yelled, run. This time, we didn't stop until we made it back inside the house where our parents were, who looked at us concerned when we ran in. We told them everything, but they said it was just us seeing things in the dark. If we went out trying to be scared, then we would be scared, they said. But I will never forget that night. It was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. I just wish I knew what we saw that day, and to everyone who likes to explore the woods at night, especially in northern Michigan, be careful. There's something with a pale face out there, and it likes to watch people walk through the woods. Number five, The Swamp Dinosaur. Submitted by Chris P. Sometimes you see things that you just wouldn't believe, and maybe you shouldn't believe. A few years ago, when I was 16, I lived in Louisiana on the Red River to be exact. As an avid fisherman, I would make daily trips to my usual fishing spots to see if I could hook into a big catfish. One day in late summer, I decided to pay a visit to my favorite spot, 
as a way to keep my mind off of the ton of homework I would have to do in just a few days. It was just a couple miles walk from my house out in the country. My favorite place to go fishing was sketchy to say the least. Most of my normal targets were ponds, but this one was different. It was a swamp, just exactly like the ones you see in movies. Alligators, muskrats, and possums were not abnormal sights out there, and I liked how secluded the swamp was, like it had gone untouched by civilization for thousands of years. In a way, it was humbling. To get into the swamp, you first enter a clearing in a large forest of cypress trees, which grow steadily thicker as you walk in further. From here, I had learned through trial and error the best path out to the water and to the perfect fishing ledge. It normally took about an hour of walking to get there, but it was always worth it. That day, in the entrance of the swamp, things were quiet. No birds chirping, no squirrels running up and down the trees. Even the swamp rats I had always seen there and grown accustomed to were gone. It was as if all the animals had packed up and left overnight. I began to grow cautious. I knew that black bears were pretty common in this area. Perhaps one could have scared off the smaller critters. Nevertheless, I decided to venture on anyway. I regret that decision more than anything else in my life. I finally arrived at the ledge, eager to catch myself dinner for the evening. After casting out my line, I noticed something was wrong. It would normally take but a few seconds to get a bite in that swamp, but minutes passed by, eventually turning into hours, and still, after what seemed like a hundred casts, there was nothing. I could not believe what was happening. Darn it, I said to myself, as I hook-snagged on a cypress root. I tried to retrieve the line, which finally broke. As I was fastening on a new hook, I heard it, a terrifying sound that, to this day, still makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. It sounded like the low, angry growl of an alligator, but deep down I knew it wasn't the same, because I couldn't pinpoint the source of the sound. It began to echo, seeming to come from all sides in the heavily wooded swamp. Whatever this thing was, it was big. I dropped my fishing pole into the water beneath me in fear. I kept trying to convince myself that it was just a gator, hopefully a small one, that I could escape before anything bad happened. I began to pack my things up to leave, but then the growl happened again even closer. This time, the loud grumbling caused vibrations that resonated through my entire body. Worst of all, it was followed by a blood-curdling hiss, like some sort of giant python. And then I saw it. It was swimming through the water about 80 yards away, snaking its way in between the cypress trees. At first, I thought that my fears had been correct. It was a large alligator. But as it drew closer, I realized that no alligator could be this big. It was at least 50 feet long, with the head the length of a man. It was the kind of colossal realization that makes your knees weak and your mind temporarily insane. As it neared me, its nostrils flaring, picking up on my scent, I saw the giant webbed spines on its back. I closed my eyes and rubbed them, thinking 
I have to be hallucinating this. When I opened them again, though, the thing was still there, except now it was directly beneath me, gazing at its newfound prey. Just one step forward off the ledge, and I would be the creature's dinner. Nothing really comes close to how this thing looked, but believe it or not, the closest I could come to describing it would be how the Spinosaurus looked in Jurassic Park 3, except the thing I was looking at looked more skeletal, as if it hadn't eaten in forever. I couldn't help but wonder if I was about to become food. Then it stood up in the shallow water, its legs propelling it upward until it was looking me straight in the eye. It was massive, probably 10 feet over me. I was close enough to touch the thing, and the horrible stench of rotten fish hit my face every time it breathed. Its piercing amber eyes seemed to look right through me, into my soul. It opened its powerful jaws, and inside its mouth were hundreds of dagger-like teeth, the longest of which was nearly six inches long. It growled again, but this time it was deafening, and if I wasn't petrified in fear, I would have covered my ears. I knew that I couldn't even dream about running this creature so much bigger than me, so I stayed still. We both stood there, staring at each other for what seemed like hours, but it was probably only a couple of minutes. I was expecting for this thing to snatch me up into its mouth at any moment, but just when it started to open its jaws wide, a hunter's rifle sounded in the distance. It looked in the direction it came from, let out a hiss, and then plunged itself back into the water and swam away quickly. I nearly collapsed right then, but I decided to run out of that swamp at full speed, tripping over roots and limbs several times before I found the entrance, and I never looked back. I guess even the largest of predators would soon come to fear the sound of a gun. When I got home, my legs were sore from running. My parents saw that I looked worried. They asked me what happened and if I'd seen anything, but I just muttered, I'm just tired is all. I've never told anyone about this now. You can probably tell why. No one would believe it, but also because I keep trying to push this thing out of my mind. I don't go fishing much anymore. It's been three years, but in my nightmares, I can still hear that growl and see those burning amber eyes. And number six, my haunted childhood home, submitted by Mighty J. What I'm about to share with you are a few paranormal experiences that happened to me growing up in my childhood home. I've told very few people these stories, but it has been weighing on me for years now. I'm 27 years old, and these things have happened to me from the ages of five to 18, 18 being the age when I finally moved out of my mother's house and into my first apartment. Let me start off by saying that I'm a very rational person, I think. I work as an internal auditor for a major corporation in my area, and I'm a mother of an eight-year-old boy and two dogs, so I believe my personality to be more grounded than fanciful but I've never denied the existence of the paranormal. 
I grew up in an older, rougher neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota that was basically all swamp and bog, but part of it dried up enough that some houses could be developed there. There were still plenty of remnants of swamp surrounding it, and they're still present to this day. My block was filled with families of middle-class people making happy homes in an otherwise tough area. The houses were older, Mine happened to be nearly 100 years old at the time, and it showed. I was raised by my mother, had one sister named Shannon, who was two years my junior, and one German shepherd named Jersey. My first childhood memory is actually my first experience with whoever or whatever was in my old house. I remember sitting at this desk my mom built into the pantry in the kitchen, which had become her home office. Back in the 90s, when computers were just starting to make their way into homes, I was excited that once my mom was finished with her projects, she would let me play on it. I would sit there for hours just play typing or being a weird little kid. One day, however, as I was messing around on the computer, I remember feeling very, very cold. It was weird because it was summertime, and though it was dusk, I should never have been that cold. And then, something caught my attention. From the kitchen, I could see into my little sister's room, the open entrance to the basement stairs. Thinking maybe it was my sister darting into my peripheral, I turned to look at her, only to see me, but not me. At the top entrance of the stairs, I saw a perfect clone of myself in the same princess nighty I was already wearing, except that this other me had big black eyes. It just stared at me for a couple of moments, looking toward the stairs, then back at me before once again turning toward the stairs and walking down them slowly, as if beckoning me to follow. I did not. I may have been a child, but I wasn't stupid, and I knew I wasn't sleeping or dreaming. It's just a few moments after the thing disappeared, my mother called me to get off the computer and to get ready for bed. I remember that occurrence vividly to this day, and it chills me nonetheless. Another experience I had in my house that I actually shared with my sister was in our basement. We had always hated going down there. It was oddly cold, even in the summer, and gave us the creeps. One night when I was in middle school, I was babysitting my sister so my mom could have a well-deserved dinner night out with her friends. My mom asked me to get a jump start on the laundry as well, and begrudgingly I obliged. The laundry room was in the basement, and it was one of my least favorite rooms. While I was down there putting clothes into the machines, I heard a bunch of toys go off in one of the storage rooms. I remember jumping up and getting pissed off thinking Shannon had tried to scare me so I ran out of the laundry room, ready to yell at her, only to find that she wasn't there. I yelled at her and she came running from the living room upstairs into the basement with me. I asked her if she made all these toys go off at the same time, and she said, no, I've been watching TV in the living room. After she said that, we both heard a feral, low growl. It was coming from behind one of the shelves in the storage room. Needless to say, we booked it out of there and went back upstairs to where our dog Jersey was sleeping, and we held on to her and each other until our mom came back home. 
that was the only time I ever heard that growl, but not the last time all the toys would go off randomly, seemingly on their own. It was then that I began to wonder that our house was haunted, or maybe the swampland it was on was haunted. The next experience I had was when I was a teenager in the basement bathroom. I was taking a shower downstairs for whatever reason when suddenly I heard a loud bang and saw a black shadowy figure out of the corner of my eye above me. I immediately jumped up and screamed for my mom. I wrapped myself in a towel and moments later, my mom came down in a panic asking me if I was okay. She had heard the noise too and thought I had slipped and fell. She was shocked to see that I was perfectly fine, just scared. I told her about the black shadow though, but she sort of scoffed off that part, or at least I thought she did, until I saw her turn around and her eyes widened and her jaw dropped. I turned to look in the same direction and on the mirror, there was a large crack with a long smeared handprint in the condensation. She didn't even have to ask if it was mine or not, because if it was, my hand surely would have been bleeding or scratched, which it wasn't. Now, onto the last and final experience I can share, an experience that tells me there is more to this world that I could have ever imagined. As I have stated earlier, I had the entire attic to myself, which as a raging teenager, I love the idea of my family not being able to sneak up on me or bug me as much. If they really wanted to talk to me or see what I was up to, they needed to make an effort to get up the stairs, walk through the living area and across the balcony, which by that point I would have long heard them coming. On more than one occasion, I would see a black shadow of a man. He looked like an older person by the way the shadow body was slouched a little like old people do. He would never do anything but appear in my room at night when it was dark, but I would still see him. Somehow, he was darker than the nighttime lighting, so he still stood out against the shadows. I would see him walk into my room, look at me, walk towards me a little, then disappear like he was never there. I never saw his face, just a shadow, and I admit that over time, he did not scare me anymore. Not even my dog would wake up when he would show, which was almost nightly at this point, so I didn't think that he meant me any harm. That all changed one night when I was 17. It was about 11.30 p.m., almost midnight, and the rest of the house was long asleep. My loyal and loving dog, Jersey, once again lying at the foot of my bed. I've always been a night owl, so I was still wide awake, writing in my journal with the help of my little lamp on the nightstand, when all of a sudden, I felt this weird pressure on my head and shoulders, and a chill that ran through my body. Jersey's head then popped up from her sleep. She began to stare at my walk-in closet, and all of a sudden, the doorknob started to jiggle, like someone is trying to turn it, but couldn't. It was just a closet door, so no one could be in there even if they tried, and it wasn't locked. Then the hair on my neck began to stand up, and Jersey began to growl. I quickly turned off my lamp and threw myself onto the opposite side of the bed where the dog was, and I clung to her tightly. She continued to growl, only now, she was growling at the shadowy man who had appeared once again. This was the first time Jersey ever reacted to him, and she could not keep her eyes off of him. 
This time, he didn't walk towards me, but only looked at me and then walked to my closet. Then he walked right through the door. I don't know why that scared me so much. I knew he was just a shadow, but I'd never seen that happen before. Jersey then jumped up and ran off my bed and began to growl even louder, more threateningly at the closet door, and that's when it happened. From the other side of the door, I could hear my heavy oak dresser start to rattle. Then it was all out shaking. I didn't dare go in, but I could tell it was shaking from side to side, as if someone or something was aggressively trying to empty it fast. The best sound I could compare it to was a washing machine shaking while it's in the spin cycle, and one side is way heavier than the other. The dresser was violently making that noise so loud that it woke up my sister and my mother. The first person I heard coming up the stairs was my sister. She was screaming my name, and I could tell she was as afraid as I was. All the while, Jersey was barking and growling in a way that I'd never seen him do before. Once I saw Shannon, I jumped out of my bed and ran towards her, sobbing while my dresser just kept shaking violently. She was as scared as me, hearing what was coming from my closet. Only a couple of short moments after my sister came into my room, my mom arrived. She grabbed us both in her arms, and in her authoritative voice, she commanded for my dog to come with us, and then it stopped. Everything just stopped. It just stopped all at once. And as soon as it did, the pressure, the chills, and the hairs on the back of my neck went away, and Jersey calmed down. Nothing like that ever happened again, which I am glad for, but I don't know why it only stopped when my mother spoke. I don't know why it happened to begin with, but it did. I moved out of that house and away from those swamplands not long after when I was 18. I don't know what caused the experiences, if it was one or more ghosts or maybe a demon or poltergeist, but I'm glad I no longer live anywhere near there. My mom ended up selling the house and moving a little over a year later when she married my stepdad. But since my grandparents still live in the area, I often drive by on my way to their house and every time I do, the hair on the back of my neck still stands up, and I feel like whatever was there, it's still there, and that it is watching me, waiting for me to come back one day. Maybe it's not the best idea to build your house, go fishing, or hiking in the swamp. Just the word swamp screams stay away, and I for one will listen. But some of us can't seem to keep away from the haunts, can't seem to stay away from the places that have the word horror written all over it. The swamps are places of decay and death. It's not always swamp rats and old plants that rot out there, because you could be joining them very soon. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. Don't forget, you can send me your stories using the links in the description. And think about pledging just $1 a month at patreon.com slash darknessprevails, because I am very stressed out about having to rely on YouTube to keep this channel afloat. Anyway, for everyone who is listening, everyone who supports this channel in any way they can, thank you all. Stay safe out there. 
and stay creepy. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.